It's Friday, May 19th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, if you've got a generator, you might want to get that ready. And that's because this summer, we may have blackouts all across America. That, folks, is the warning coming from the group that monitors the nation's electricity grids. More on that in a minute. Second, America's wheat farmers are in trouble. They are dealing with record droughts in the Midwest, and that's leading East Coast wheat buyers to go abroad for their wheat instead of Kansas. Details coming up. Third, we head to South Africa this morning, where an electricity crisis there is pushing a farming community to the brink. And we're going to talk about how that could be a window into America's future if we are not very careful. Later, we close out the podcast with a question from two listeners about whether or not I am a prepper. So we are going to talk about what that even is, whether or not I am, and how my family, we prepare for emergencies of all kinds. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Well, folks, the forecast for the summer is hot. And that's because the National Weather Service says that we've got a new friend joining us. It's called El Nino. That's the weather pattern that tends to bring hotter temperatures to the United States from Alaska to Florida. In fact, only California and the upper Midwest tend to fare a little bit better in terms of cooler temperatures during this El Nino period. Right, so that means that air conditioners and fans are going to get a big workout this summer. Except, well, we got a problem. According to the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, America has built too much of its power supply with unreliable solar and wind. And that is leading to a warning of rolling blackouts this summer all across America during times of peak use. So here's what we know this morning about this alarming forecast as reported by Reuters News Service and that organization called NERC. And now, look, if that organization sounds familiar to you, it should. Because I first mentioned it back on April 6th, when they offered what was their second warning of the year, that America was building far too many intermittent power plants, like solar and wind farms, while tearing down or retiring reliable power plants like natural gas and coal. Now, as a reminder, intermittent power like solar and wind is problematic because it harvests energy from the sky. And like any harvest, sometimes it's good, like when the sun shines, or sometimes it's bad, like, you know, when it's at night. And that means that a grid built on this intermittent power might not always have electricity, especially when we need it. And that is precisely what NERC was warning us about both, well, a couple of weeks ago and again yesterday. In fact, NERC issued this warning uh, yesterday that their summer forecast for the nation's electricity supply Well, unfortunately, the entire thing is, quote, at elevated risk of insufficient operating reserves in above normal conditions, end quote. All right. So so what they mean there is that when we have a nasty heat wave, which tends to happen during the summer, there won't be enough electricity being created on the grids to sustain the demand for things like air conditioning. Right. And that is especially true in the evening hours when the sun goes down and the solar panels aren't generating any electricity, right? And that problem, by the way, is especially true in the American West and the state of Texas, 
where the grids there have a greater and growing percentage of their electricity created by solar panels. Meanwhile, in the Midwest and the New England states, y'all's electricity problem, well, it's that in periods of high heat, the wind doesn't typically blow as hard. And that's bad because an increasing percentage of your electricity is coming from wind farms. So just to emphasize, NERC is anticipating that these blackouts would occur during the high heat events of the summertime. So normal temperatures probably won't cause any blackouts, but we've got that El Nino, which tends to cause high temperatures. And we have to remind ourselves of the previous briefs where NERC warned not once but twice that in the medium to long term, we are risking a greater number of blackouts as we are now increasing our energy supply with this solar and wind stuff, right? Instead of the natural gas and coal plants that are much more reliable. So folks, those are the facts and data this morning about a possible blackout-filled summer. Let me now fill uh, you all in with some, well, quick analysis and opinion. So to me, this moment reminds me a lot of when I first started at the CIA, right? And, and a couple of years prior to the September 11th attacks, intel officers were telling the White House and policymakers that a terror attack of some kind was coming. And in other words, sort of all the lights were flashing red, that, that bad stuff was on the way. Well, all the lights are flashing red now, too, with this transition to solar and wind, right? They're, they're flashing, folks, because, well, as we talk a lot about, China has a lock on the supply chain of this dirty green energy stuff. And states and utilities keep shutting down reliable power plants and instead are building this intermittent power supply. In other words, we are setting ourselves up for a national power system that only works some of the time. And that is a recipe for disaster. So if you agree with this assessment and frankly the warnings of NERC, you might be wondering what you should do about this. Well, when it comes down to preventing and preparing for disasters, I've got some advice. And in fact, we're going to talk about that more at the end of this podcast. But for now, what I'd like to ask of you is just keep this brief in mind, especially when we talk about news from South Africa just a little bit later in the podcast. All right. For now, let's move on to our second brief of the morning. And before we get to South Africa, we need to talk about Kansas. Because if you are in Kansas or frankly anywhere in the Midwest this morning, I don't need to tell you that it is dry. In fact, we first uh, spoke about this on May 5th, right? There is a multi-year drought hitting the states of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Northern Texas. In fact, it is so bad that some counties are the driest that they have been since record-keeping began back in 1895. In other words, it's drier now than during the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. So that, folks, takes us to today's update from Bloomberg News and the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Right, things have not improved over the past three weeks since we first spoke about this issue. In fact, they've gotten worse. And that is leading to the Department of Agriculture predicting that U.S. farmers are probably going to abandon their either sick or non-existent wheat crops at levels not seen since 1917. All right, well, that seems bad, but is it and for whom? Right, let's dig into it. So first, it means that other countries are going to use this moment to use their abundant wheat harvests, both in the field and in storage, to take the wheat contracts that American farmers can't fulfill. In other words, our farmers are going to lose market share, all right? And that is bad for farmers and small towns all throughout the Midwest this morning. 
Second, it also means that U.S. companies that usually buy American wheat will have to, at least in some cases, go abroad for their wheat supply. We've actually got an example of that this morning. Two wheat ships from Poland arrived in Florida just yesterday. And that, folks, is really bizarre, right? Wheat shipments from Europe to the United States are exceedingly rare. But the folks at Ardent Mills in Tampa, Florida, have found that it is actually cheaper to buy and import Polish wheat than to actually deal with the higher prices and limited supply and the shipping costs from places like Kansas. Now, interestingly, this connects to my briefs that I've given you all on the wheat wars, right? That's the fight to get Ukraine's wheat out to global markets. Now, as listeners will recall, Ukraine's cheap wheat has meant that their ag products have flooded places like Poland, whose farmers are quite cranky because they're sitting on record wheat supplies and they've been looking for buyers. Well, they're starting to find some in places like Tampa, Florida. So for what it's worth, the U.S. Department of Agriculture says that we should see more of this foreign wheat ending up in the United States. In fact, they say overall wheat imports will hit a six-year high this year, all because of the drought. Well, no matter what, I'm going to keep you posted, and we're going to keep our eyes on how much of this Eastern European wheat gets into America. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. So enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, and then in about a minute or two, we'll be right back. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Arc Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with Arc Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com. Again, that's ARC, like Noah's ARC. And buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code RIGHT, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code RIGHT, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. And this next piece of news comes to us from South Africa, which is a nation rich in many, many things, but especially minerals, including something called manganese. That is often used in things like electric vehicles and their batteries. And that supply of manganese, ladies and gentlemen, is at risk this morning, all because the country is running short of electricity and, frankly, short of patience. In fact, that lack of patience could lead to civil unrest. So let's talk about what's happening in South Africa. But as we do, I want you to be thinking about that first brief this morning. It was the warning from the organization NERC about the possibility of blackouts this summer in this country. Because I think that there's a cautionary tale in what you are about to hear. So let's get to the news in South Africa as reported by the French media outlet, AFP. The government of South Africa, folks, has shut down a solar farm in the city of Frankfurt, 
which is an agricultural community about 90 miles south of Johannesburg. Now, the government shut this solar farm down because they didn't want other cities and other farmers to follow their example and create their own local energy production because that might jeopardize the monopoly held by the government-owned energy provider called ESCOM. But the problem is that ESCOM can't produce any reliable electricity. As the AFP reported, ESCOM is wildly corrupt, used for years as a piggy bank by the corrupt ruling politicians in the African National Congress Party. And that corruption, folks, plus the corruption and incompetence by ESCOM employees and contractors, well, that has left South African power plants in terrible shape, resulting in nationwide blackouts. And those have lasted for 12 hours a day, every day, for the last 18 months. So that is precisely why the farmers of Frankfurt built their own solar farm. All right, they came up with their own money, $5.2 million, and installed those solar panels back in December. And to be clear, they needed this electricity not just to run their ACs or their refrigerators. Right? They, they did this because their businesses were collapsing. So one farmer named Gary Mabanderi said that he had lost 5,000 chickens because they died from heat without fans. There was another local factory run by a fellow named Thando Keswa who shut down his enterprise because the cost of diesel generators to supply his company with electricity well, just became too costly. Well, so they set up this solar farm and ESCOM was not happy and they sued. And ESCOM won. It wasn't a technicality, but that doesn't matter because the solar farm has now largely been shut down. And that led one farmer to say this, quote, if they aren't going to allow us to use our solar farm, use our own electricity, we're not going to have any choice. We will have to take the law into our own hands. It is a matter of survival, end quote. And I'll tell you, I fear that they're going to have to. About an hour before I recorded this podcast, the acting CEO of ESCOM said that the problem of supply and electricity and blackouts, it's going to get worse over the next three to six months. And that's because 3,000 megawatts are going to be gone from the grid, all because of these problems, mostly at the coal plants. So folks, those are the facts and data out of South Africa this morning. And I want to pivot to my analysis and opinion by first repeating the quote from that farmer, right? If they are not going to allow us to use our solar farm or use our own electricity, we're not going to have any choice. We will have to take the law into our own hands. It is a matter of survival. And you know what? He's right. I'll tell you, as a CIA officer who has watched these kinds of things abroad, you can make life pretty miserable for people for a certain period of time, but eventually they snap. Right. Let me just give you one example that I think is perhaps one of the most infamous over the past 20 years. So back in 2010, there was a street vendor in the country of Tunisia. Right? His name was Mohamed Bouazizi. Right? Police seized his vegetable stand, which was the only way that he made just a tiny little bit of money as it was. Right? They seized that stand because he failed to get a permit. And that broke him financially and emotionally. And Sadly, horrifically, he set himself on fire, right? That desperate act of a very desperate man inspired what is now referred to as the Arab Spring, which were demonstrations and people's revolutions throughout the Middle East because people were tired of the broken and corrupt governments that they had lived under. 
Well, the farmer in South Africa is telling us, folks, that this same sentiment is percolating there, too. Right. He and his fellow farmers built their own solar farm because ESCOM was so corrupt that, frankly, they, they couldn't make their businesses work. Right. The farms started to go belly up. The factories, too. Right. But the, the corrupt system of ESCOM and the federal government there, the, the judicial system, it just broke them financially and emotionally with this ruling, right? shutting down their solar farm. And so now he says they're going to take matters into their own hands because it is a matter of survival. So at a bare minimum, I'm going to be watching South Africa very closely over the next three to six months. And a part of that watching is certainly how this might affect South Africa's supply of manganese on the global markets. Because how a spark there caused by this solar farm issue, well, that could ignite into a South African flame, causing all sorts of problems for that country, just like we saw in Tunisia. But folks, I also think that there's a cautionary tale here in this news for us. And that takes me back to the warning from NERC about the power grid this summer in the United States. Right, they're warning that it could fail, resulting in blackouts, all because the state governments and federal authorities are forcing these new power facilities, the solar and wind, that don't provide power 24-7. Right? In other words, their policies just might break people and businesses and communities, especially if we're not very, very vigilant. Now, I don't know that the United States is going to end up with folks taking matters into their own hands like Mohamed Bouazizi did in Tunisia or this South African farmer is threatening to do. But what I do know is that the folks at NERC are telling us that we are on a very dangerous path this morning. And that path, folks, is a lot closer to South Africa and Tunisia than I would like. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go, so enjoy this next break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. So over the past six weeks, I've gotten emails from you all about this idea of prepping or being a prepper. And for folks who are unaware, that is roughly defined or understood uh, to be sort of a person or a group that thinks that some catastrophic event is likely to take place, like a global war or civil unrest. So a smart person would stock up on supplies to prepare and survive. So folks like Nate R. and Jeff D. from somewhere out there in the good old United States, they asked me whether or not I'm a prepper. And if there were to ever be a catastrophic event here in America, what would I advise them in terms of preparing for such? All right, well, Nate and, and uh, Jeff, let me answer your first question, but probably not in the way you would expect. So I was trained to always be prepared because if I wasn't thoughtfully prepared as an intel officer, I could get people hurt or killed, right? And a part of being prepared is knowledge, right? And that is a big motivation for me on this podcast, right? I scour the world for news that helps us be prepared by being informed, right? By identifying problems and opportunities, And then we use that knowledge and that preparedness to strengthen our families and communities. At least that's what I hope I give you all. But what happens when all that knowledge and preparedness isn't enough? What happens when there are problems that are beyond our immediate control? Say a, a hurricane or a war in China or the pandemic where our supply chains for critical goods were profoundly interrupted. And that's really the heart of what I think you're asking, Nate and Jeff. 
So for those problems that are out of our control, what can we do to prepare? And should we? Well, let's start with that last question. Yes, we should prepare. That is the smart, reasonable thing to do. All right, well, what can we do? Well, let's start with the basics of good emergency preparedness. So overall, my counsel is that you should have 30 to 90 days of whatever it is that you need to live. Food being the most obvious. Meanwhile, water is critical, but it gets a little bit tricky here because it's hard to store three months worth of water, at least for most of us. So that's why I use and have a really great UV water uh, purifier. Now, I use it for camping, but it also doubles as an emergency treatment system if, let's say, my local water company were to lose power. Now, there was also another uh, emailer, uh, Randy uh, was his name, who asked me about weaponry. All right, so let me just say this. If you haven't taken a gun safety or hunter's safety course, do that immediately. And certainly before you ever buy a gun. Because in my view, the craziest thing that you can do is buy a weapon and not know how to safely handle and clean, use, and store it. All right. But once you take those safety courses, personally, I'm a fan of Glock pistols uh, and the good old Henry rifles, if you're looking to buy something, especially for hunting. But I would tell you, if you don't have a lot of uh, weaponry or knowledge of it, join a gun club and talk to folks there about all the different options that you might buy or have and fire stuff at the range first. Now, some folks who you might hear of or or might be called classic preppers uh, would argue or encourage us to, say, buy a property out in the back 40, out in the mountains, and, you know, build a cabin. Well, look, whatever your preparation plan looks like for emergency scenarios, my advice is to find ways to use that stuff from property to gear, well, in a fun way, and use it now. So, for instance, my water purifier, right? I use that for camping. Or with weaponry, you know, it's good to get out there with the boys and do some target practicing. So the idea is that by focusing on fun and building skills, then it becomes preparedness that is ultimately centered in joy and creating good memories, right? Instead of panic and hysteria. Because for me, I'd much rather live a life that is centered in happiness. But the things that I do that bring me joy and happiness? Well, it comes and they come with the benefit of preparedness. Because otherwise, folks, if you try to prepare for all of the problems of the world, well, I think that's going to turn you into an anxious mess and probably a heavy drinker. As for me, I'll pass. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. To the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.